Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and I wish you all happy holidays, uh, regardless of which ones you happen to be celebrating. Tis uh, the season for merriment. Uh, tis the season for companionship. Tis the season for getting together with people who are in your heart and sharing time and making new memories that will last a lifetime. Um, I'm honored to be starting off today's show with Mystic Inspiration, Ron Carson's Coliseum, with uh, radio personality Ron Carson, who is also my cousin. Greetings and welcome, Ron. How are you? First of all, good evening, Xadilfe, uh, and happy holidays to all. Of course, we are already into uh, night number two of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, which mm-hmm. goes on until next Monday, December 30th. We're about to embark on Christmas, which is, of course, on Wednesday. And let's not forget our friends who are celebrating Kwanzaa beginning Thursday, right up until New Year's Day. So everything is all bunched up together this year, and it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, and then there's Yule. And uh, when I yeah. was uh, in high school, people didn't know what to wish me, so they would wish me Merry Zeusmas. <laughs> and I had I <laughs> the card from... Uh, uh, the Mary Zeusman day. So Mary Zeusman to all who went to Bronx High School of Science and uh, uh, indulged me uh, my uh, mythic beliefs. Um, so it was also how the day of Festivus, also if you watched the yes, Seinfeld the show, you know <laughs> that's another thing. And most importantly, I just want to footnote today is your beloved mother, my aunt, and godmother's 88th birthday today. So uh, salutations to Elizabeth on her special day today on the 23rd of December. I will let you know that uh, you uh, expressed uh, that, and uh, she will know of it tomorrow. Um, So what is exciting with you? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. (laughs) What is new and exciting with you? Busy. I'm just kind of nice that uh, after I get off tomorrow morning, I'm filling in for my boss this week 
except for Christmas Day, who's on vacation for the rest of the year. So my midday shift has now become the morning show, and I have to adjust to the early schedule again, which is part of my job, and I am enjoying that as well. And uh, I will be heading south to Jersey tomorrow after my air shift, and this way I get to spend a little time with my mom, and I'll get to see you, Athena, and Elizabeth tomorrow evening. So. That'll be awesome. uh, We'll look forward to uh, catching up in person. But right now, let's talk about movies. And uh, what is tonight's movie, Preto? Today, we are going to focus on the 1953 epic Julius Caesar. Aha. Yes, you were talking about uh, ancient Greece and Rome. And this, of course, is the epitome of Roman uh, history in more ways than one. And this was a movie that was uh, with an all-star cast, and uh, Louis Calhern played the title role. Marlon Brando was Mark Anthony, and um, we also had um, James Mason as Brutus, Sir John Gielgud also uh, in the uh, picture, uh, playing in the uh, <coughs> movie as Cassius. Uh, Edmund O'Brien was Casca, Greer Garson, California, Deborah Carr as Portia, so that kind of led the way to a very, very uh, intellectual and uh, a plethora of all-stars over here. And ironically, there are a couple of other familiar names that were also in this picture, including Michael and Sarah, if you remember him. Uh-huh, yes, of course. He was Pindarus. Uh, Victor Perry was Popilius Lena. And uh, Stephen Roberts played Dardanius. Lawrence Dobkin also had a role in the movie as well. Now, this was a pretty uh, interesting uh, cornucopia of performers. And the film was produced, ironically, by John Houseman, who, of course, was best known as Professor Kingsfield in the Paper Chase movie and TV show, and also in those Smith Barney commercials back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn uh-huh. it. I remember that. <laughs> yes, he was the producer of this picture, and the director was Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who pretty much was a very popular uh, person who was calling the shots back in the early days of cinema. The music in this uh, particular uh, presentation was courtesy of Miklos Rosa, and uh, a it also was a album, of course, with the soundtrack, courtesy of MGM, who actually uh, produced the film as well. And um, they actually uh, came out with a 1995 re-recording of that particular soundtrack. And the Sinfonia of London was responsible mm-hmm. for that as well. Now, this film is recognized by AFI in the top ten from 2008, when it comes to epic motion pictures. Really? I didn't know that. Very good adaptation of the life and times of Julius Caesar, which uh, received very good reviews in uh, newspapers all across in uh, tabloids. Uh, Variety magazine said this was a triumphant achievement in filmmaking, one of Hollywood's greatest pictures. Um, The New Yorker magazine called these... A presentation, a very chilly exercise, and pretty much they thought that Brando stole the show. Now, this was Marlon Brando prior to when he was 
in on the waterfront, and of course as the Godfather afterwards in the 1970s. So um, he actually um, started out in acting around this uh, particular uh, moment in time, and he actually became Mark Anthony in more ways than one. And uh, according to the uh, magazines and periodicals, he stole the film, in other words. So how did he become Mark Anthony? I don't know that story. Um, he was very, very carefully cast by oh, okay. uh, Hausman and Mankiewicz in the uh, particular uh, um, <clears throat> development of the motion picture. Now, ironically, John Gielgud, who was in the movie, played the part of Mark Anthony on, in, uh, back in the 1930s in the theater. And he was also uh, James Mason, who was Brutus, also did this uh, show in Dublin, Ireland as well. So we're talking about uh, quite um, a lot of historical moments in this particular picture. So, um, But um, they did, um, you want to go back to Brando's casting, okay? There was some, you know, head scratching. And, you know, because as you recall a few years earlier, he did that performance of A Streetcar Named Desire when he was yelling the name Stella out the window. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So that's when Marlon Brando was pretty much getting into the, uh, you know, port of, what I'm trying to say is he's, he's you know, cut his teeth in major motion pictures throughout the early 1950s. But they had a little skepticism in giving him the role of Mark Anthony in this particular movie. And, and first it was Paul Schofield that they wanted to cast. And John Gielgud said that... Um, he uh, liked Mr. Brando's uh, diction, and he also played the role in to the letter, so to speak. So in other words, like he was pretty much born to play Mark Anthony in this particular uh, motion picture. And uh, James Mason kind of had a little rivalry with him because it looked like that he was stealing the uh, film from him because he thought that his role of Brutus was going to be the uh, – pretty much the showstopper because of the fact, as you know, what happens because Brutus also joins in the assassination of Julius Caesar. So, um, but it looks like that everybody was appeased and the uh, director, Joel Mankiewicz and the producer, John Hausman actually distributed uh, equal um, kudos to all these major stars as uh, what they said that, um, you know, the uh, film was a cohesive and working unit, and they actually had a lot of fun making this movie also in more ways than one. So um, now the film at the box office pretty much saw a profit of over $100,000. Originally, they spent over $2 million. You know, you know how much $2 million was back in 1953? Back then, uh, a lot more than it is now. <laughs> Quite a lot of money. I mean, if you were a millionaire back then, you were set for life, for sure, because the dollar was stronger, and, you know, this was nothing to sneeze at. When you spend $2 million on a major motion picture, which did not become a flop, because it turned out that at the box office worldwide, this movie made double what they spent on. So there you go. And uh, with all the expenses that MGM had to... uh, entail they still made a profit of over one hundred thousand dollars and uh, john houseman 
interesting enough, said in an interview back in the 1970s that this was a uh, movie that was re-released in theaters and was shown on schools, and a lot of the TV stations were running it on late shows, and you know, and it pretty much the residual thing kicked in, and this is why this is probably one of the most popular documentaries of the legendary uh, emperor from Rome. So uh, you can't get more peplum than this when we're talking about Julius Caesar, for sure. Yeah, Julius Caesar is a popular uh, character even uh, today, and uh, he's uh, popped up in uh, many uh, TV series uh, about uh, the ancient uh, Roman Empire as well. So um, I recall watching this uh, film from the 50s and um, being you know, very immersed in it. And uh, none of the other performances, though some of them were stellar, uh, have taken away from it in all the intervening years. Absolutely. And uh, if you remember, the film was shot in black and white. It was not a color movie. Yes. And uh, Houseman, interesting enough, did not want to turn this into an all-British cast. Because according to what he said in the recent uh, thing that he mentioned back in the 70s, I'd done a lot of Shakespeare in America, quote-unquote. And if it was going to be all English, it should have been an English motion picture made in England. And we might as well have forgotten about it. But this was made in the United States of America. And uh, the um, portrayers of all these roles uh, received quite a lot of kudos in their time. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of those moments when you, know, you say to yourself, kind of wish you were back in 1953 and you actually saw this on the silver screen for yourself. You know, imagine us when we would go to the RKO and we would see a film like yeah. this. I mean, by that time, when we were growing up, it was already on television. But uh, if you would actually see this movie on the silver screen, that would have been like priceless, if you ask me. Well, now, fortunately, we have huge TVs, <laughs> and we can watch things on them. Not the same, because not the same. You not know that I'm a traditionalist. Uh, I love the, the movies where you have a large screen, and it's one movie house, no multiplexes, no surround sound, Dolby stereo, uh, reclining chairs. All of a sudden, now movie theaters are serving lunch and dinner while you're watching the film. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Really? I didn't know that. When did that start? I'm not it a frequent movie. recently because it's actually, uh, it's actually becoming a trend right now where you're actually seeing a lot of movie houses actually that serving up lunch and dinner. You have to pay a, lot of, a whole lot extra for it, too. And you're right in front of the screen, and you're actually dining while watching the movie. And it's like, not my cup of tea. You know what I mean? Just throw me a large tub of popcorn and a soda and I'm all set to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That, that'd that be something to experience, uh, certainly. Um, but, uh, um, well, times change and uh, with it, our experience of uh, watching uh, movies, I guess. Um, well, we do remember the film that was, you know, also of the same name in 1970, which starred such folks as Charlton Heston, Jason Robards, and Richard Johnson. And John Gielgud actually played the role of Caesar. And there was also a stage production across the pond in Britain directed by John Schlesinger. And John Houseman was involved in that as well. So it looks like the uh, trickle-down portion of Julius Caesar continued on 
in more ways than one. Continued mm. to the point where they didn't make sequels, but they were re-releasing the movie, and they were casting, you know, other actors to play these, you know, timeless roles. And that 1970 film is a perfect example, I would say. I think I remember we did see the 1970 version in a the theater. Most likely. That was during the height of our theater going. Uh, oh, yes, uh, definitely. definitely. So I'm sure we must have seen that. We definitely have seen the uh, uh, latter version of that in the theaters because I know for a fact that you were very much into the sword and sandal epics even when you we were younger. And you're the one that actually got me interested in that particular genre of motion picture too yes i i i found my niche uh rather young <laughs> yes As did you. i remember that wholeheartedly <laughs> wholeheartedly but uh in other words you know it's one of the uh epic peplum masterpieces of all time this 1953 version documenting the life and times of julius caesar and I think it was a very wise idea that they actually shot the film in black and white instead of color because it added mm-hmm. more persona to it because it actually gave the uh, texture of the movie because it was set before Christ in Roman times way back when, you know, as uh, you basically, uh, you know, or thinking about all this instead of adding in, you know, glitz and glam. Because imagine if they actually made this movie in color, they'd be spending a whole lot more in budget, too. Uh, correct. So but uh, they also... black and color, the, the effects of them, especially the, the early uh, color, uh, gave the movie a different uh, flavor. And uh, um, sometimes I prefer the black and white version. Sometimes the colorized one is fine. Yeah, but uh, um, each one had a different feel to it. One of my main pet peeves is when they colorize black and white motion pictures. I've enjoyed some colorized. That's one of your pet peeves? I didn't know. Yeah, because first of all, I like watching the film in its pure form. Like, remember when we used to watch Babes in Toyland with Laurel and Hardy in black and white? Yeah. Now Channel 11 shows a color version of the film, which I would prefer seeing it in its original form. I've never seen that. Yeah, and uh, ironically, I have the DVD of March of the Wooden Soldiers, and unfortunately, I don't have the black and white version. I'm still looking for a copy of the original black and white copy of that film. They sent me a color version, and I was not very happy about that. Um, not too long ago, when I was stuck in the snow, stuck at home in a snowstorm, and I was fortunate enough to watch a couple of my... Uh, episodes from my favorite show, Gilligan's Island. They were at season one, which was the black and white season. And what did MeTV do? They colorized them. I would have rather watched them in black and white. I I, I like them both. Uh, A late movie that was made in black and white, even when color was uh, much more available, uh, is called uh, Forbidden Zone. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's it's an uh, ultra-low-budget type of movie um, about the modern Hercules family and their trip to the Forbidden Zone, which is the you know the underworld, um, and they recently released the colorized version. Uh, I have both the black and white and the colorized, uh, and it's the same movie essentially, uh, but the feel of it is uh, slightly different. The flavor is different. I enjoy both the versions, uh, though. Well, I'm a purist. <laughs> That's one uh, realm that I kind of like say 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it was shot in black and white, leave it in black and white. You know, that's basically how I think. But uh, it, I, I cannot even imagine people even thinking of colorizing this edition of Julius Caesar because it would definitely take it out of its true form. Well, to each, like I said, to each uh, their own. And well, you know, uh, we have a lot of... always, there's always something, you know. We don't have to. Sometimes we don't have to agree with everything, cuz. But the thing is, uh, you know, that kind of adds a little variety to the spice of life. Now, at least we know we can get into a little debate about color versus black and white on uh, certain movies and TV shows. You know. Uh, yeah, some people prefer the black and white. Some people don't mind the colorized. Some people, you know, like uh, hate the colorized. <laughs> some people hate the black and white. So All right, I'm going to uh, blow your mind. I forgot to mention also another cast member who was very popular okay. uh, to us in uh, television who actually played Cicero in the movie, and it's our friend Alfred the Butler, Alan Napier. Oh, really? That's in interesting. Yes. He actually was in this picture himself. Well, he's of British descent also if you remember. And, mm-hmm. Well, before he was Alfred, he made a lot of movies back in the heyday of cinema. I mean, he wasn't a stranger to show business. It wasn't like Alan Napier was a newcomer when Batman came into the fold back in the mid-60s. I mean, he is pretty much well-known for a lot of theater, a lot of stage, a lot of cinema. So he, he wasn't exactly, uh, you know the new kid on the block when it came to being in front of the camera. I mean, uh, that's, that's another, that's another actor that I wanted to footnote in this, uh, cast that, uh, you know, we, uh, were touching on earlier and I forgot to mention Alfred, the Butler, uh, Cicero in this movie too. I can see him in that role, a younger Alfred. I can definitely see him in that role. Well, he was, I think about close to 50 years old when he uh, made this movie. Because he was born in the early in the late nineteen hundred in the late nineteen hundreds, I think it was nineteen oh eight that he was born. So, uh, or earlier, I'm not sure. I got to look it up on Wikipedia and find out. <laughs> but uh, Alfred the Butler, yep, who has done many movies across the pond and here in the United States before his beloved role in uh, one of my favorite TV shows of all time as well, and. If you ask me, he was the Alfred, just like Adam West was the Cape Crusader, you know? I don't um, get into movies, uh, the movie versions, you know what I mean? Right, right. But uh, are, like there I said, are there any of the movie versions that you do like? Because uh, Batman, to, to, for his mythical uh, uh, resonances, uh, they've always uh, he's always been associated with Hades. Because you listen I did like the Michael Keaton because of one reason. Okay. Because I love Jack Nicholson as the Joker, even though he wasn't uh, up to par as Cesar Romero and he was a much more darker character. I still thought the first Batman was one of my favorites from the cinema. Okay. Fair enough. So at least uh, you know, but uh, Michael Keaton could have boosted up the role a little bit better, if I, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean he um, was. Uh, he was pretty dull as Bruce Wayne, if you remember. <laughs> well, I, I like them all. I, um, I, I like even the real, the serialized Batmans that were pre-Adam uh, West. Uh, they were the ones that played in theaters where um, yes. uh, Robin drove a regular car and Batman sat in the back seat. Yeah, or I do remember out. the comic version, yes. Uh, 
is a lot different than what we were experiencing on television in the mid '60s, for sure. And Batman would shoot people with guns. I, it was very different than uh, what. Yeah, uh, I just can't picture Adam West in that particular scene, no. like in the comic book. But if you also remember, the DC comic was a whole lot darker than the actual TV series, which was campy. It's it does. Um, now they uh, still dwelling on Batman before we move on to the uh, Peplum yes. community. How were the animated uh, um, uh, movies in that series? They made two of them. Um, I how were Mark they? Mark Hamill's Joker was superb. Okay. Well, you know, Luke Skywalker voiced the role of the Joker in the cartoon that version. Is awesome. Yes. And I remember you giving me some of the cartoon episodes on DVD, and I actually enjoyed Mark Hamill's performances. I mean, I thought he was the closest thing to come to Cesar Romero when it came to the role. Yeah, he is very versatile. Uh, very. Um, I was surprised. Very everybody, well known. You know, pigeonholes uh, him as Luke Skywalker on Star Wars, number one. And number two, you know, I think that was like a nice deviation from everybody that can – say that, hey, you know, he actually did a good a good job uh, voicing the Joker in the animated series. And I really thought that was very, very well executed and well done. I mean, the force was with him for sure on this one, for sure. Now, uh, there are communities uh, online now of fans. Before, I remember when we were growing up, if you wanted to find other fans, you had to go to conventions. Uh, and at conventions, uh, you'd meet people, and some would be dressing up like their uh, favorite version of uh, uh, the pop culture icon, and they would form into clubs, and they would have activities, and uh, so on and so forth. And now uh, our online communities seem to have uh, largely taken the place of that type of interaction. And I know we've been fortunate on uh, Facebook to find very many uh, um, peplum communities. Now, of course, the penultimate a Facebook community for both of us is Peplum Paradise, That's and uh, it is Big an awesome place to, the, uh, to join. The pond, Nick Whale and Stephen Smith, who we always adore and admire, and uh, they always provide a informative, drama-free site. And if you have not yet joined, and if you're a fan of this particular genre of motion picture, you definitely belong in there. But uh, it's interesting. We're going about to discuss another group that I found on Facebook, which I'm pending right now. And I okay. uh, found it uh, while I was browsing because you asked me uh, to find another alternative uh, group because I didn't realize that we were talking about Peplum TV in a previous broadcast. So yeah, I, found, I found Women in Peplum Cinema. Yes, that's a great group. I belong to that group. Oh, you do? That's what I was wondering about that, because, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that I said to myself, I know my cousin is definitely involved in this group, and it's nothing but, you know, photos of women who pretty much epitomize the sword and sandal motion pictures and uh, a couple of little biographies and uh, birthday salutes. It's similar to what Nick and Steve do with Peplum Paradise, so it kind of struck my uh, attention earlier when I was scrolling on it on Facebook before we uh, phoned in today, and I already submitted my request to join, so I'm pending right now. Hopefully I'll hear from the admin, and I'll be able to uh, chime in on this particular uh, site as well. But uh, it's another interesting and very, very uh, informative 
picturesque version of the uh, females who contributed their two cents into this genre, and there's plenty of them that did fantastic work on this. It's just not only for men. You have to give both sexes the credit they deserve because of the fact that they pretty much meshed very well together in all their roles. And what uh, I kind of like the idea that uh, whoever thought up of this group on Facebook is uh, pretty much paying homage to the uh, ladies who made these uh, timeless motion pictures, which still remain near and dear in our hearts, and the contributions that they uh, put in on the silver screen. So, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're uh, well accustomed with the group being that you're in it. So uh, what do you think yeah, of it? It's a Pat Reeves group, if memory uh, serves. Pat, like uh, uh, Stephen and Nick, has a lot of uh, uh, peplum uh, groups, you know, and uh, each of them focuses on a particular um, area. And uh, he is also like uh, uh, Stephen and uh, Nick. Nick. Uh, he uh, posts fairly frequently, so there's always something to uh, to enjoy to learn about inside the group. Uh, but it's focused on the uh, female stars of the Peplum movies rather than uh, everybody. And right. uh, um, I've even started a few Peplum uh, communities uh, recently, uh, one of which I'll talk about. Uh, uh, it's called Olympian Living Mythic Inspiration. Uh, as everyone knows, I work out um, just about daily. And while I'm working out, I watch uh, Peplum movies because they keep me motivated. They remind me of what first got me interested in uh, physical fitness, uh, and they give me something to uh, strive for, and they energize my workout. So um, every day, almost, because uh, it's very difficult to uh, maintain Facebook groups, as you know, um, yes. whenever I can, uh, post in there images and information about the uh, Peplum films that I'm working out to. And some of these are the early classics that we grew up with, and some of them are more recent uh, uh, additions uh, to the Peplum uh, library. It's safe uh, to say that you use Steve Reeves' Hercules movies as a role model for working out too, being that he's like your, you know, cut-off-the-same-cloth-type role model. He is uh, one of my role models. Others include uh, Reg Park and uh, um, Sergio Chiani, who's better known as Alan Steele. So uh, I currently have a, a group dedicated to Sergio Chiani. Also the Peplum uh, television series, which was syndicated in our youth called uh, The Sons of Hercules. Uh, that is great inspiration. So I've made a homage uh, to that uh, group as well. And uh, very shortly, I'll have a homage group to the uh, animated series that we grew up with, uh, too. That's correct. A show that we used to watch on Channel 11 many moons ago, I remember. Yes. On the big console TVs, we used to watch the Hercules cartoon, even though they were in black and white, they were colorized. But still, we uh, were very much, uh, you know, entrenched in that particular uh, animated series in more ways than one. And I'm glad to see that you have a whole uh, body of movies to choose from. And let's not forget tomorrow when I come over, you and I have to discuss diet because uh, I have to definitely uh, start a uh, New Year's resolution of uh, losing weight, uh, according to my doctor also from my last checkup that I told you about. So we'll go 
up to there. And uh, you told me that you have some uh, books on dieting, and I look forward to picking those up tomorrow and trying to awesome. get back into that swing of things because uh, according to what my physician says to me, I have to drop at least 30 pounds minimum to 50 pounds maximum. So, And I'm going to do it, too. You will. Yes, I know. You are You are very determined once you get something in your mind. Uh, I have not only uh, books on diet and exercise, I also have some equipment, too. So you're, uh, you're free to look through that and take whatever you feel you need to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. I have custom, and uh, with the host of our next uh, show, the Amber Dragon uh, podcast, uh, one of the places where we share um, books and information and uh, DVDs uh, uh, for fitness and other things that we're working on, um, there we exchange these to help each other out. So I extend this uh, to you as well, and I'm sure you'll find something in there uh, that will appeal to you. All right. Well, I do have an uh, appointment with my primary care physician next Monday, so uh, I'm going to let her know that the uh, books that you've uh, given me, given me actually, which will be uh, part of the plan tomorrow. I'm going to try to uh, implement them and see what we can do in order to make this reality. But I know for a fact that other friends of mine have told me that they've seen a little change in me since the early part of the month. I have dropped a couple well, of pounds. Good. good. I'm still trying to fit into my old pants uh, that I had from many moons ago, which uh, is still a task at hand. But um we're not going to be focusing on a new wardrobe, but on the old one. <laughs> Good. And, uh, um, again, it's, uh, you can't change the past, but you can focus on the future. Uh, and uh, you can do what you need to do and uh, move uh, forward. And uh, like anything else, it's an adventure. Uh, I started another group on uh, Facebook, uh, which uh, is uh, called uh, – Olympian Living Mythic Feasts, and there uh, I invite people to share their uh, dietary uh, adventures uh, because, uh, as you know, I have type 2 diabetes, which mutates every now and then, so what worked for me uh, will no longer work for me every now and then, so I have to refigure everything else uh, out, so that keeps me focused on the diet, and uh, I share what I'm finding there, what's working, what's not working, and things like that. So you're more than welcome to join that adventure. You'll find other people there uh, who are trying different things uh, for their particular health goals. So you're welcome to join us. Okay. Well, I'll take you up on that offer, Xavier, for sure. And um, I'm just happy that we ended up 2019 on a uh, positive note in regard to a very, very uh, – you know, prolonged but, you know, well-done peplum picture and this women in peplum group, I'm looking forward to being a part of it as well, just like I am with the other groups that I uh, participate in on Facebook. And like I said, uh, if you really are a true fan of this genre in sword and sandal movies, you should definitely go online and join these groups and get nostalgic, post your comments, and pretty much uh, educate yourself as to some ins and outs that you sometimes didn't realize when you were watching the movies that these uh, performers actually portrayed their roles in. You kind of learn something new every day. I mean, that's what I get from Peplum Paradise whenever I'm on Nick and Steve's page. I always go there every day without fail and check out the latest posts and check out the latest um, uh, 
information that they give and the birthday salutes and uh, and I'm kind of glad that this women in peplum group has a mirror image of what Steve and Nick are doing online as well so I look forward to being a part of this so I will see you there and tomorrow I'll see you for um, um, uh, a feast a small one but still a feast uh, when you come by and yes, we'll, be, uh, uh, we'll be together on Christmas Eve tomorrow night and I look forward to it I, I haven't uh, been downstate because of uh, scheduling issues, and every time I wanted to come down on my day off, the weather was always playing a role, and I was going to come down to spend some time with my mother on her birthday last week, but the day after, we had a very bad snowstorm over here, so I didn't want to take the chance to travel, but at least it's going to be smooth sailing for tomorrow and Wednesday for my uh, journey back to Jersey and then back to Massachusetts on Wednesday night, and... I just want to take some time and wish your audience a uh, happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, and may all the joys and blessings of this holiday season be uh, fruitful to you and your family members. And the one resolution I would like in 2020 is to see a more kinder and gentler world, which we are pretty much lacking these days. And if people would express a little bit more kindness to one another, whether you're related, your friends, to your any stranger, pay it forward also. You know, go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy a cup of coffee to the person behind you in the line. It'll make you feel good. Make contributions to those a little less fortunate because the spirit of giving, that's what it's all about this holiday season, to help your fellow man. We've kind of like forgotten about this. Well, thank you for reminding us. Uh, I enjoyed our journey today, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Love you, cousin. Uh, stay safe, stay warm, and I will see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow real quickly. If you'd like to follow my adventures on the radio, wsbs.com. Also, you can download the free app on your app uh, store or local uh, Google Play, um, and we look forward to uh, waking you up here for the rest of the year, except for Christmas Day up until I return to my regular shift after the new year. So uh, I look forward to seeing the family tomorrow, and uh, I send blessings and joy to your family on your show each and every time that we get together, and um, we'll see you uh, on the air in 2020. Very well, and now we will hear Dave the Bard's The Pipes of Pan, and then we go to Optimal Wellness Show, the Amber Dragon Podcast with Linda Marciniak. Dead, a son of sun, a tear wiped away. 
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. That was Dave the Bard, the Pipes of Pan. Our next segment is focused on optimal wellness, the Amber Dragon podcast with Linda Marciniak. And I'm so looking forward to talking to Linda and getting into the topic of today's show. Greetings and welcome, Linda. How are you? 
Oh, very well, very well. Thanks, Hercules. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, doors are closing. New doors are opening up. <laughs> the world is shuffling itself around. And uh, so it's uh, a very exciting time. Yeah, well, we've, you know, we've definitely been feeling it. I mean, 2019 has definitely been one of those cast-off years trying to kind of get us all ready for that shift in 2020. And, uh, you know, never easy, but uh, a lot of this stuff is quite necessary, you know. Yeah. Um, I so, found that some things that I should have uh uh, let go of and move past. I didn't, uh, and the universe uh, did it. So, <laughs> well, you know, when we we kind of miss those subtle cues sometimes. You know, that stuff yeah. that, you know, the first inkling that this is no longer serving me, or you know, this I don't get the same wow from this that I used to, or I don't feel the same about this. You know, all those feelings and and you know, being rational creatures that human beings are and kind of loathing, losing anything, we we just kind of, um, we just kind of rationalize those thoughts away. And, you know, how many times did you hear somebody say to you when you were younger, oh, it's just a phase, you'll get over it. So uh-huh. we're really, we're really kind of discouraged <laughs> from ever really just saying, you know, this isn't working for me and moving on. Um, you know, everything old gets new again. So don't ever, don't let people go. Don't let things go because eventually you might come back around and want that thing. And yeah. so, yeah. So then, then what happens is the universe has to take, you know, bolder strides to make sure that um, we get it. <laughs> and they, it does that by taking things away, you know. Uh, yes, I, I definitely know. And uh, I love the title today is episode uh, don't make res- make uh, plans not resolutions awesome yeah well it's you know it's that time of year right so christmas is two days away uh we just celebrated you know the beauty of yule on saturday with uh you know the coming of winter and um at the dragon uh the fellowship of uh the dragon moon did a phenomenal job this year really um you know, we always do a peaceful transfer of power from the Holly King to the Oak King. And uh, this year we, we called in all the elements and we elementally um, dismantled Holly, really, and uh, sent him to the spirit realm. And then we gave the gifts of elements um, to the Oak King so that he could reign supreme from now until summer. So it was it was a beautiful, you know, ending and beginning and letting go so that we can receive anew. And that's really, I think it's part of human nature this time of year. You know, we're always making plans and making resolutions. And unfortunately, that stuff, you know, anything that's so black and white um, tends to, to lend itself to failure, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to your listening to your um, podcast right before I went on, and, and you know you were saying about the exercise, you know, almost every day, and you know with the Facebook pages, you know, I try to keep up, and you know, there's a lot to be said for giving yourself um, 
that flexibility to be human, that flexibility right. to, you know, to range your options. And that's what this, this time of the year really should be about. When we set ourselves up with quote unquote resolutions, um, they're really kind of do or die statements, very black and white. And, you know, the, the first time you waver, you've failed. And okay. then, you know, then it's all downhill from there. But if you, you know, if you look at it differently, if you, if you, you know, if you make plans rather than ultimatums in the form of resolutions, you give yourself that leeway um, to even change the plan, you know, to even get to that point where, you know, what I thought uh, was going to work for me isn't. And instead of continually trying to force it, I'm open to change. So that's really, I think, the theme going into 2020. Um, you know, if you want to really manifest change in your life, uh, you're going to do it in small incremental movements that make sense, that feel right, that fit into um, that bigger picture of your life. And as you do that incrementally, you start to build, you know, a step and then another step and another step, um, you know, rather than resolutions, which are really so focused on the end goal that um, it doesn't take into consideration what's going to happen between here or there. The goal is just right. to get there, you know. Um, and you and I, Hercules, you know, we've talked for a long time and, you know, we have enough history behind us to know that the straight path is never going to work. No. Or seldom. Every now and then it happens the way you intended and uh, within the time frame that uh, you had imagined. Uh, and sometimes it happens yeah. surreptitiously, you know, like synchronistically, boom, you know, it's, it's, it's in your head right. and now it's in reality. Uh, but that is often, as you say, not the case. A lot of time uh, the road is long, winding, and full of surprises. Yeah. So, I, you know, when, when that happens for me and it just where I land, where I, you know, said I was going to land, I, I think I'm the most surprised person in the room because <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, for me, it's always, you know, to, to steal a line from Pirates of the Caribbean, right? You know, they're guidelines. Mm -hmm. So create, create a plan that, that is really a definition of your, of your guidelines, you know, a goal that is smaller, more attainable. Um, when you look at all the pieces of your life, I mean, you are phenomenally busy. You've got so much going on that anytime you try and add something else, there's really going to be this trickle down into other areas of your life that you don't necessarily account for when you're making that new plan for yourself. Right. So it, it's you know, it's better to really start very small in one thing that is measurable, that is um, replicable. You know, what can I do every day or what can I do three times a week? You know, what's a, what's a more measurable um, time frame for me? You know, in my life to expect that I'm going to be able to 
go to the gym every day for an hour and a half is really unrealistic. But if I can get up in the morning and do my stretching for 20 minutes and do my um, my weight training intervals for my arms and upper body for another 30 minutes three times a week, that's something I can do. You know, right. it, it's along the path. So really that's my, I think that's my word of wisdom, you know, for, for the new year. If we want to achieve optimal wellness, ultimately, then you have to stop with, you have to start really with moments of wellness that you can really sink your teeth into, that you can really hold on to, and that you can replicate, that you can do over and over and over again without it becoming a burden or a bore, if that makes sense. No, that, that makes plenty of sense. And in fact, uh, I've learned uh, to plan things that I know are not going to happen the way I planned them. Uh, like, for instance, with the exercise, um, you're not supposed to exercise every day because then you'll overtrain. But I plan on exercising every day because I know that two or three times a week, um, you know, something will come up where I will not be able to exercise. <laughs> so, um, you know, or sometimes, uh, um, you know, like training heavy and light and doing all sorts of uh, techniques. Uh, I know that sometimes I don't have the time or don't have the energy to follow a specific uh, plan. Uh, but I also know that if you confuse and shock the body, uh, it will, you know, react better than if you don't. So uh, my my workout as intended isn't always what happens, but the things that happen give me the time to rest and the time to adjust uh, that I normally don't schedule myself. So um, I, I know these things about myself now after 60 years or so on the planet. So I, I factor them in when I plan to do something. It's like with writing too. Uh, I've been published in 15 anthologies, wrote a couple of eBooks, uh, uh, got published in a bunch of magazines, both e-magazines and regular magazines. Um, and, uh, you're supposed to like aim for like three pages a day. I don't always get a chance to do three pages a day. Some days I do five, some days I do one, some days I do zero, some days I do 10. I always wind up writing. And when all is said and done and I average it out, it's kind of three pages a day, but it's not going to happen that, you know, I, some days I do have three pages, but most days I, I don't, but it averages out to three pages in the long run. Cause I know that I'm not going to have uh, the time in the block or, uh, the be able to to do the actual three pages. So um, that's the, the stock I give myself when I uh, focus on a particular area. Well, and it's important, you know, it's important information for you. You have to kind of know, you have to know yourself well enough and be yeah. honest with yourself. You know, and I think we fall short a little bit with that. You know, the ego plays into that a little bit. Um, peer pressure plays into that a little bit. You know, you, you're talking to your buddy and, you know, your buddy gets to the gym every day. And, well, of course, there's nothing wrong with me. I can get there, too. Even if it just doesn't fit your lifestyle, we're not we're not quite evolved enough yet as a, as a society to, to be fully okay with that range. You know, there's still these... Um, you know, these expectations to, to live up to. And when we do that, we really kind of set ourselves up to fail because the first, you know, the first time you don't live up to that expectation, 
for some people, it just takes the, the wind right out of their sails, you know, um, and then they, they decline into doing absolutely nothing. And um, you and I have talked a lot, and you know that I'm a, um, I'm a very physical person, and I yeah. pride myself on my diet and my level of activity. And, you know, uh, just like we were talking about a little bit earlier, if you don't pay attention to the subtle cues, uh, the universe is going to kind of hit you over the head. And so um, I'm actually heading for some knee surgery on Monday that, um, wow, you know, okay. I've, been nur- I've been nursing this, turns out to be a torn meniscus, um, for a little over a year, I'd say. And, you know, just pushing as hard as I always did and, about three months ago, the body said, uncle, and, um, you know, if you're not going to listen to the subtle cues, we're going to basically hit you over the head. So um, it, it's finally resulted in me not even being able to uh, bend my knee and tie my own shoes. So I'm I'm going to be heading for some surgery, and it's, it's an opportunity from the universe, especially this time of year, to really give me um, – some hibernation space to give yes. me some, in, you know, some introspective time to really um, take a look at where I've been and uh, how much of that journey I want to still stay on um, and what will open up for me uh, if I kind of clear some things out of my path. So I'm a little bit nervous about it because I don't do well with um, – unstructured time I tend to get lost a little bit in um, you know in kind of small minutiae but uh, I've got some plans for myself and I've I've kind of factored in some some things that I don't normally get time to do so things Mm -hmm. like um, there's a couple of restaurants um, that I've wanted to try but you know I haven't managed to get there. So maybe we'll be able to go and, and do a couple of lunches at some vegan restaurants I wanted to try, um, you know, hit the movies and do an early matinee and, a, you know, a movie I've been waiting to see. Yeah. It's, it's, hopefully it's going to go like that, you know. Um, but either way, uh, I I have to open myself up to – whatever it is that the universe has planned for me at this point in time, because me trying to control that um, and force it to go in a direction that I wanted to go in, obviously is not, um, it's just not prudent and it didn't really work out. So, um, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for me to learn and grow a little bit too. Oh, yes, uh, I, I certainly understand what uh, you're saying, and uh, um, things like that have happened uh, to me. Usually, uh, like, for instance, when, before my diabetes was diagnosed, uh, I was feeling kind of off. I wouldn't go to a doctor, and then I fell downstairs, uh, once outside right. and once uh, inside. Um, and uh, after that, Athena convinced me. <laughs> That I should go to a doctor, but it took falling downstairs <laughs> twice to, to get me to go. Yeah, well, you know, that's the stuff of it, right? I, I finally go to this doctor, and um, he's a young, you know, kind of young, energized guy. And, um, 
he says to me when I we got the MRI results back, he said, so so how long have you been feeling like this? <laughs> and I said, oh, please, just don't trouble yourself with the details. You know, <laughs> what do we have to do now? You know, but it's, it's a lesson learned, you know, pay attention to the subtle cues because it, it is obviously something, something wrong and, and you have to do something about it. Um, right. But again, you know, you, you learn and you grow and this is certainly the time of year for it. Um, you know, everybody's trying to align themselves and trying to, you know, clean slate it, uh, go into 2020 without any regrets and, you know, without any, um, you know, kind of dangling things left undone. And, I mean, we're people. We're, we're mortal. And uh, right. it's, pretty near, it's pretty near impossible unless you were born on December 31st. Um, you know, you're not going into the new year fresh, um, but you can go into the new year, you know, with a plan and with some goals for yourself and, you know, with some forgiveness and some compassion for yourself and just move ahead. That I think is probably a more um, reasonable expectation than thinking you're going to wake up on uh, January 1st with, you know, a completely clear mind, no regrets, no thoughts of the past, um, no disappointments. It's just not in our DNA, folks. It's not going to work. No, very true. I, I found for me that uh, systems help. Like, for instance, uh, I devised uh, uh, something based on the um, seven-day uh, week, uh, which is what we live in in our society in terms of how we measure time. And uh, I learned a lot about uh, ancient beliefs and practices and I created something for myself that really helps me uh, stay uh, focused um, and keep my life uh, balanced. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a simple thing. And anybody who follows me on Facebook will see evidence of it <laughs> repeatedly. I use it daily. Um, and uh, does it work all the time? No, nothing works all the time. But generally, it, it keeps me moving uh, forward. Uh, and it doesn't... Uh, um, forced me to neglect any aspect of uh, my life because the luminaries and the pl- and the classical planets, you know, kind of cover uh, the totality of human uh, experience. And um, recently, um, through one of our other hosts uh, here on the show, Kat Young, um, she has a course called the Chart Your Course, and it uses the zodiac um, and. Mm. Uh, um, I, this is, I think, the third year I'm using it. And, of course, I've modified it every year to better you know, fit my psyche and uh, uh, the way I do things. Um, and uh, I found that to be a very powerful uh, tool uh, for planning out the year ahead. And it's during this time, the transitional time between, uh, you know, the, what people call the 12 days of Christmas, uh, when you right. do that. And uh, there's all sorts of magical lore around it. And whether you believe in the magical lore or not, it's a good way of planning the year, the year ahead and giving you like a, um, enough time to uh, accomplish uh, the goals that you're uh, envisioning. And it's balanced, too, because like the days of the week and the planets and uh, the uh, Zodiac also kind of gives you the totality of human experience in its system. Uh, so it, if you if you do the uh, 
um, exercises, uh, you're kind of covered in every aspect of your life. And, you know, I, I've tried a lot of different systems, approaches, and, you know, I, I tend to find that what works best for me during the week, I'm fairly structured in my regiment. Um, I get up at the same time. I eat at the same time. A lot of times I'll eat the same thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, for a whole week, I'll pick up a menu and, I'll just stick with it. And then on the weekends, I really give myself the flexibility to kind of, you know, sleep a little later, eat a little later, um, kind of do more of what I want. But when I work, when I do my magical work, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I I have not historically consulted um, astrological um, correspondences, planetary correspondences, and that's all relatively new for me um, mm-hmm. with my work, you know, with my work with the Alexandrian um, tradition and my high priestess, who's very much into those things, has really kind of started me a little bit on that path. But naturally, I, I tend to be a little bit more of an intuitive, and so right. I tend to... I tend to work with the energies when it feels right for me. And I kind of take my cues from uh, messages that I receive that tell me I'm, I'm on the right path, uh, that now's the time to do this or that or the other thing. And, and I find that the magic that I work that way, utilizing my, my intuitive um, energy seems to be the magic that holds the truest for me. Um, If I don't have to get myself all hung up on, you know, what are the mechanics of this? What is the timing of this? What is the, you know, then I I seem to do much better. Um, And I've tried it a lot of ways because I, I I try and do a, you know, kind of make a good faith effort to, try new things and say, okay, well, I'm going to give this a shot or I'm going to do this and, you know, see where it takes me. And um, once I accomplish the goal of, that I've set for myself with whatever that technique is, I wait and see if it's something that I just start to pick up on, you know, and continue to use because it, you know, it feels right, then that's a good thing. If not, you know, it's learning for the sake of learning. I don't ever lose anything, but I might not go back to it. Um, so this I'm, year, I'm uh, yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I think it's okay. Um, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't gone up in smoke yet, so <laughs> I guess I'm not doing anything that wrong, you know. Um, and at the dragon, you know, we are constantly, um, reinventing ourselves and pulling yeah. new elements in and, and trying to work, you know, in, uh, in new and creative ways. And so far that seems to be working too. So I like to take in um, all the information and I'm so grateful when I get to learn from folks that have been doing it a long time and doing it well um, because I'm a, I'm a visual learner and I learn best by actually 
going through the motions with somebody showing me the way than reading in a book. Um, so it, it's been a very, it's been a very wonderful year for me in terms of my my spiritual growth and my personal practice. And I feel like 2020 is um, going to be a bit of a breakout year uh, with regards to that. I have a lot of ideas of, you know, how I want to move uh, the dragon um, into different areas. And, you know, you and I have been talking about bringing some different classes there as well. And um, so I I think it's going to be an exciting adventure. I did commit to um, at least paying attention uh, to the planetary aspects on a daily basis. So this year my, you know, my date book that I bought is uh, the planetary and uh, astrological um, um, planner and guidebook. So I said, okay, well, this, you know, I can read this every morning, and if it starts to stick, then I know that it's a system I'm meant to work with. And if it persists in challenging me, then I appreciate that it works for others, but it might not be mine, you know. That, that's uh, I, I go by the same guideline. I'll try a lot of different things. Sometimes they, they work. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they work for a little while. Um, I, I will keep something, you know, for as long as it's uh, working and for as long as I find it enjoy- enjoyable. Sometimes things work, but they're not, you know, uh, they're disharmonious to the rest of me. So uh, uh, then I have to uh, explore whether I really want to go in that direction or not. And uh, sometimes the answer right. is no. And after making that decision, I feel free. I feel lightened. I feel unburdened. Um, I find that we think we need to do all these things. Uh, but when all is said and done, uh, that decision, was that made by us or was that made by our society, by our um, family, by uh, uh, the groups that we uh, grew up with or through? Uh, a lot of times it's not even our voice that we're heeding. So uh, examining those things, exploring them and letting go of some of them um, is uh, very liberating. And I'm finding, too, that some things, uh, no matter how uh, they resonate with the rest of the world are truly what I'm all about and that I like these things because I truly like them or I truly believe them. So I've been trying to collect as many of those as possible and then the rest, letting them go. And uh, it's brought me great joy. Well, there's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, individualizing your, your practice, individualizing your, your routine. And I think a lot of times what, what hangs us up is, is, um, you know, that comparative ego. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we are, we are very unlike the rest of our, um, you know, our mammal kin because we do eyeball the guy next to us and the guy in front of us and the guy behind us. And we're constantly gauging ourselves off of, you know, the folks that are around us. And, you know, even in the magical community, right, um, you know, there's always somebody who is um, amazing and phenomenal that, you know, you can look to. And if you start to say, well, you know what, Um, what they're doing is real magic and what I'm doing is not so much, 
it's going to kind of throw you off your center. And that's when I think we start to try and um, adopt things that don't necessarily resonate for us, but we think Mm -hmm. that that's what we should be doing. Um, And so this year, you know, I think if, if that's, you know, something that you struggle with, then 2020 is your year to look at this stuff and make some very conscious choices about what you keep and what you, you know, acknowledge as being wonderful, but let it go. Um, Right. See, you know, when you get to this point next year, you know, how has that, how has that changed you in some way? You know, how has your reinvestment in your own practice brought you to that place where you thought um, you could only get to if you did it somebody else's way, you know. I think that that's probably um, our biggest challenge ever. Yes. And trusting that our way is is fine. Um, uh, I uh, am discovering that with uh, my dream work. I've been working with dreams since I was a kid. Um, and uh, mostly consistently, sometimes again, I'm taking breaks off for short periods of time, but that's been one of the constants in my uh, life. And lately it's hitting me that uh, um, regardless which book I read, I've experienced that. So I have to ask myself, why am I reading all these books, you know, to learn how to do it? I've been doing it my whole life. And that was very liberating, you know, realizing that, uh, not not that there's nothing left to learn, but I don't need anybody else's, um, experiences to guide me. I'm perfectly capable of generating my own, and they cover everything from like liminal states to hypnagogic to hypnopompic to uh, lucidity to cage states. Uh, yeah, I've experienced them all, and and frequently, so I'm fine. You know, this is uh, a place I'm comfortable with. It, it's like uh, uh, my reading books continuously on this is like is like reading books about life continuously rather than living it. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, uh, that, too, it was a a difficult thing to let go of a habit that I've carried around for a lifetime. But ultimately and eventually, it seemed liberating. Well, the other thing is that, you know, it's it's so much harder, I think, to to get that level of validation um, within the realms of, you know, magical systems and metaphysical systems and, um, you know, dream work and hypnosis and, you know, everything that we do in, in kind of, um, in the magical world, it's harder to get daily validation for that stuff. I mean, verbally, you know, it's not like we're not all living in Hogwarts, right? Where, you know, we're sitting around with other, you know, witches and wizards and everybody's talking about the homework that they had last night it doesn't really go that way. And, you know, like when I'm sitting there in my, you know, my day job, I, you know, I'm not exactly going to be turning around to somebody at lunch at the table and say, Hey, you know what, let me just run that Yule um, program by you and and tell you what happened when we were in circle. And then you can share Mm -hmm. your experience. So I think for us, a lot of times um, reading takes the place of that because if you stop and think about it, you know, at this point, what you're getting from your reading is validation. You're, you're getting that, that nod that, 
you know what you're doing, that you're, you're sharing the same thoughts and the same um, theories as this author who you've never read before. So it's like meeting somebody in real life who shares your passion and shares your practice. But um, I think we get it more from books and, you know, programs that we go to because of the nature of the work. Um, as, as advanced as we've become as a society in terms of being open and um, being at, at least tolerant, I still don't see it as an environment that's that fluid around blending, um, you know, traditional systems and, and magical systems in the same peer group in the same conversation. So I really, when I read books now, Hercules, um, mm-hmm. and, and I find that pearl in there, it's not a pearl of newness. It's a pearl of, yep, I'm on the right track. Um, That's almost like the author is. No, go ahead. Well, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's almost like you're sitting down having coffee with the author and sharing ideas. And I really, that's the way I kind of look at it now. Not that I'm, you know, in the same league as some of the people that I'm reading. I mean, it just I just finished uh, um, Carl Gustav Jung's book, uh, Man's Search for a Soul. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't profess to have understood 100% of what um, I read, but some of his concepts, especially around the use of dreams, you know, really resonated with me. And I thought, you know what? It's because nothing is new. I mean, he was probably just one of the first ones to put it together in, in the sequence that he put it together in. But, you know, I, I have those thoughts myself. So I, I really see our books as more validation than um, than completely new learning at this point. And that is a gift you have given me. And uh, I will ponder that in my meditations tonight because it's a more empowering way than I was looking at it. Linda, our, our adventure is up for today. I treasure these times uh, we get to speak because usually uh, when we're in proximity uh, to each other, we're so busy <laughs> with what tasks are at hand that we don't really get a chance to talk. So I thank the universe for this. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that our listeners uh, uh, get to share in the wisdom that uh, I get from these discussions. Well, thank you so much, Hercules. And I, you know, I, I definitely missed you when I was on hiatus and I do, uh, I do look forward to our conversations and kind of seeing where we're going to go next. And um, I will see you at the dragon on uh, January 10th. Uh, incredible! I think it's yeah the tenth or the eleventh. I don't remember, but tenth or the eleventh, the yeah. second Saturday of of the month. Um, and uh, speaking of the dragon, how can folks learn more about the dragon? Well, the best way is to come and experience the dragon for yourself. I We're agree. located in Branch in Branchville, and it's it's just a lovely little shop. Um, but you can go on Facebook, uh, and you can follow me at the Amber Dragon. On Facebook, I'm also on Instagram as the Amber Dragon, and uh, you can reach out. Uh, my emails and everything are posted on the Facebook page. 
or you can direct message me if you have questions or comments or you'd like information about the shop, and I'd be more than happy to chat with you. And uh, that is true, uh, because uh, you and I first uh, um, got to know each other when I reached out with a telephone call. So Linda does get back to you, and she does speak with you. So I'm, I'm ever yes. glad that uh, we connected. Well, thanks so much, Hercules, and have a, have a blessed holiday season to, uh, to you and Athena and your family. And to you, the Druid, and uh, your family, both and the Dragon family as well. Well, thank you. Blessed be. Blessed be. We're now going to listen to Dave the Bard again, Merlin am I, and then we'll go to Mythic Gaming with Timothy Espy and Zach McAtee. Merlin am 
That was Merlin M.I. by Dave the Bard. And I am Hercules Invictus, and this is Voice of Olympus. And our next segment is Mythic Gaming by Tim Espy and Zach McAtee. And I'm greatly looking forward to catching up with these gentlemen and seeing what is new in the gaming community. Greetings and welcome, gamers. Greetings. Hello. Hey. How are you? Hi, Zach. So, I'm doing well, uh, pretty good. What about you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's uh, the end of the year. Uh, lots of things are changing uh, uh, for the best. So uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, times ahead. And how about you, Zach? How are things with you? Things are going well. I uh, just saw some folks for the holidays and planning to uh, start up a campaign in January. We were going to start it earlier, but we Figured we'd wait till after the holiday season because we know it's kind of cramped for people time-wise. What type of campaign? Uh, I've mentioned before that there was a board game named Root that we've yes. played. It's, it's a really cool war game, and they made a Kickstarter RPG of it. So I backed it, and I have like the, the quick start rules, uh, which will run you through like a mini campaign of it. So I've set it up and like sketched out things for the different towns and different quests for the beginning of the game. Uh, most of the people have made their characters. They're going to make a few more. And then we're going to run through that and see how that goes, play test it, and we might give them feedback and see if they want to do anything with it. That sounds incredible. 
And are there any other campaigns uh, planned, uh, for instance, at level one games? Um, we're still running our two D&D campaigns. Um, that's every Sunday. And then uh, me and Zach can discuss maybe running a one-shot or something at some point in the future, which would be fun. That is fantastic, and I'm looking forward to doing my one-shot uh, Voyage of the Argo adventure. So I'm designing that currently. When is and, that going uh, to be? Um, I don't know. i got to talk to uh, you guys to see when we can coordinate our schedules. But uh, I guess sometimes in the first quarter of uh, the coming year. Looking awesome. forward to Sounds it. Sounds good. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, beginning uh, game reviews again. I was doing that. I've done that for years on and off. Uh, so I started again recently, as you know. So in 2020, uh, I'm launching that. Uh, and uh, I've started uh, talking about and mentioning uh, the games that I'll be starting with on our uh, podcasts and uh, on Facebook and so forth. Uh, and I'm looking forward to actually starting with uh, uh, doing the on-air reviews and then the written reviews and, and so forth and uh, opening people's eyes to the many options they have to enter the world of Greek mythology. Yeah, that would, that would be fun. I'm sure there's plenty to uh, plenty to discuss. So now, level one uh, games, I didn't get a chance to come back uh, this month. I was intending to, but then things uh, came up. Um, it seemed uh, very busy the time that I was there. I'll be it briefly. Uh, anything new and exciting happening there? Like what games are currently being run on a regular basis? Uh, we just had our first um, Pokemon League Cup, which is like the big one that happens every, they call it a season, which is generally every three months. Uh, so we had nearly 40 people for that, so that was that was crazy. Um, and then uh, the new uh, Magic set is releasing in January. We I forget the exact date, so next time we talk, I should know. Um, okay. But that's with the, uh, the the God set again from Theros. Oh, I'm greatly looking forward to that. Yeah, th- th- everyone's really really excited for that one. Now, Theros, uh, it's, it's not exactly Greek mythology, but it's he- very heavily based on Greek mythology, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, they don't specifically say Greek, but it's, it's Greek, <laughs> especially yeah. the names like Perforos and, and a bunch of stuff that very pulls heavily from Greek mythology. And uh, I remember uh, there was a comic book series and I think uh, at least one book written about uh, the Theros uh, world. Yeah, I'm sure they can they can dive pretty deep into that. Are there any plans to reprint the old cards as well, or is this just an, you know, like something new? So the, the new set coming out is all new cards. Um, But there is something that they are releasing, like a little, like, mini set that they do every once in a while, um, which is some reprints of old cards. And I'm pretty sure some of those gods and and Theros cards are in that set. It's a huge set, like a thousand cards or something crazy. um, Wow. Where they pulled a bunch of of cards from, uh, from all the sets that they've ever released. That is wild. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. (laughs) 
And uh, are there any new systems coming out? Like the PlayStation 5, I've been uh, reading about that. Uh, when is that due to come out? Yeah, the PS5, I don't think they released a, a release date for it yet. They just released a release date for the new Xbox system, which is coming in the holiday of 2020. Um, so the new Halo will be coming out for that. Um, they just uh, So they have the, the video game awards every year. And uh, okay. that's when they released a bunch of world premieres, and they announced the Xbox there. They unveiled it there. Um, yeah, so that's holiday 2020, and then the PS5, PlayStation 5, will come out the same time, generally, is what they usually do. I'm excited about the backward compatibility that uh, you said that they were talking about uh, on one of our recent uh, podcasts together. That's very exciting, because uh, uh, the PlayStation 2 remains my favorite. Um, and uh, um, I'm planning on getting a, another, like a refurbished PlayStation 2 sometime in the near future so I can play some of those games. But it would be great to have uh, something that plays everything. Yeah, the, I'm not sure the exact details for the PlayStation 5. I'm pretty sure it's speculated that it'll play PlayStation 4 uh, stuff. Um, whether or not they decide that they want to go all the way back again which would be nice because Xbox slash Microsoft, they're very with the backwards compatibility. Like the Xbox One now can play original Xbox games, some, most. Um, so I'm hoping that Sony and PlayStation catch up with that. That's the one thing that they're lacking pretty severely in this generation. Yeah, definitely, because uh, I know I'm very attached to my old games, and uh, uh, my PlayStation 2 played PlayStation 1 also, and now I can't play those as well. Uh, and some of the yeah. ones we seen by today's standards, uh, I really enjoyed, like the Kingsfield games, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Kingsfield 2 especially. I, I used to play that for hours, uh, and uh, Diablo. So uh, right is now I'm playing the Kingsfield series. Excuse uh, me? The, the Kingsfield series, is that like a Diablo-style action RPG? Or is no, it a more it's... like turn-based style? It's more um, immersive. Um, it's like first-person viewing through the oh. eyes of the character. And uh, they had hmm. a, a story when Kingsfield 1, Kingsfield 2, then I think Kingsfield 4 came out for the PlayStation 2, uh, and then they had a couple of other ones that were peripheral. And uh, I used to have them all. Now I still have uh, the Kingsfield 2. Hmm, interesting. I would like to check that out. And maybe um, like Oblivion and Morrowind pulled a bunch of references from that. It seems if it's like a first-person RPG style, maybe. Hmm, interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I've enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed the story too, and it was uh, it was interesting. It had some twists and turns, and uh, um, it wasn't as uh, frenetic as some of the games. So I was able to leisurely play it and enjoy it. Right. Now, Zach, are you into video games uh, as well? And if so, which ones uh, uh, excite you? Uh, I am. I don't play them as much as I used to. I, uh, I spend most of my time reading or uh, nowadays playing board games and running RPGs. But uh, I do have an Xbox One, uh, Sega Genesis from way back. I have a Nintendo 3DS. Um, so my main genres are platformers and turn-based RPGs. But I play a little bit from a bunch of different genres. Uh, if I had to nail down like a, 
a top few like current games, I'd have to say uh, N plus plus is like the perfect platformer. It's streamlined. It's very physics based. It's very simple. It's very fluid. It's it's one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, the Dark Souls series, particularly Dark Souls two, uh, Hollow Knight, Shovel Knight, and uh, the Pokemon franchise. Uh, Pokemon, okay. Castlevania, and Mega Man. Yeah, we, we were just playing uh, Shovel Knight earlier today, actually. <laughs> what is Shovel Knight? <laughs> uh, Shovel Knight is a recent indie release from, I think, 2013 or 2014. They initially 2014, started as yeah. a Kickstarter program. Uh, it was a couple of people who worked for a, a pre-existing game company who liked the team unit they had been put into, so they left to form their own company. They kickstarted okay. this game. It's a uh, a platformer using, I think it's uh, it's eight bit. Um, yep, eight bit. But it's it's using using eight bit art style to harken back to the old SNES and NES classics. Um, mm-hmm. But it's using like more modern mechanics and. They tweak a few things, so they use a bigger color palette. They change. They can do better songs. Uh, but the idea is, you play as the eponymous Shovel Knight, who is a short knight in blue armor, who never takes okay. off his helmet, and his main weapon is the shovel blade. So it's just this large blue shovel, and uh, the main mechanic for him is if he jumps into the air, he can aim the shovel below and use it to bounce off of enemies and hurt them. Uh, the game was a ridiculously immense success on Kickstarter. So they ended up getting not only the base game funded, but three extra campaigns where you play as bosses from the base game, and a fifth game, which is a Smash Brothers-style like four-player brawling game. And uh, the last campaign and brawling game just released about three weeks ago. So they're finally... From 2014 to 2019, they're finally done with the project and are trying to see what they want to move on to next. That's exciting and uh, a great uh, culmination to many years of development. And if uh, if people are familiar with NES games, uh, there's a game called DuckTales, where the main mechanic mm-hmm. in that was uh, a jump attack that you you strike your cane down. So that's where okay. they drew their inspiration for the Shovel Knight attack. Um, they they like that mechanic so much they you know decided to build the game around that pretty much. Yeah. So that, that was like an 8-bit NES you know game that was really super popular. Yeah, I remember the NES and the SNES uh, days uh, fondly. Um, I used to play uh, oh, what was it called? Uh, Dragon Warrior, I believe it was called. Yep. Uh, for yeah. hours. I used yeah, to I play um, the Dragon Warrior, Dragon Warrior 3. Hmm. That's the expensive one. <laughs> yeah, I, it's uh, Game Boy Color. Yeah, I, I I played through that like for years. I never beat it. I, I got to the end, but I could never beat it. Yeah, I, there was a guide for it uh, that was very helpful, and uh, I used the guide to uh, beat the game. You know, just uh, basically... Uh, learned how to go through the the, the last uh, uh, few screens, and uh, once I knew how to do it by reading it, it, it wasn't that difficult to do. It's like with Kingsfield also. I kept getting killed, and, and then I looked uh, 
in the strategy guide, and, and uh, I was able to beat the game. Now with uh, Super Nintendo, um, I remember Magic Sword very fondly. Uh, it was a simple uh, idea. You know, basically you were marrying and you're climbing a tower uh, that had uh, 50 or more floors, uh, and uh, you were attacked by different types of uh, guards, and you had to free different people who were imprisoned in the tower. Uh, and there was like a dragon theme running through it, I remember as well. Uh, so that was a fun thing uh, to play, uh, and I played it a great deal. There was another room called Legend uh, that had a bit more of a story to it, um, and uh, used the same mechanics, but uh, you know, you got you went through different characters. Um, I used to love uh, for the Genesis the Golden Axe series. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> and of course, uh, Tim knows uh, that we share a passion for Gauntlet uh, in various stages. Yeah, Gauntlet of is the best. <laughs> Uh, there's ever... a game that you should write down and uh, check out. It's called uh, okay. Slay the Spire, is what it's called. Slay the Spire. It's um, it's a roguelike game, so you have one life to get through, and if you die, then you start from the beginning. But it's a, it's a card-based deck-building game where you have like a set number of cards in your deck, and they you know either allow you to attack or allow you to defense or poison. And it's just a it's just a crawl all the way up to the spire, to the top of the spire to defeat the game. But you're playing your cards out in you know in the correct order to kill the bosses and to kill the, the little minions that are protecting the bosses. It's a really it's super hard and it's really hard to get to the end especially. But uh, it's card based with you know really nice graphics and something that I think you would be uh, interested in. Um, it's called Play the Spire. Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire? Okay. Yep. And where would I be able to pick up a copy of that? Um, I know that it's on PC, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think if they released a console release. That would be interesting. I've only played it and seen it being played on PC, but I would be surprised if it wasn't on a console. One of the things I'm very excited about, uh, and... uh, I'm just waiting for them to go down in price a little bit uh, so I can pick them up used, is uh, they're uh, re-releasing on PlayStation 4 all the old uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, um, games. And uh, they oh, happen to have uh, two favorite ones on the same uh, disc, uh, which is Planescape Torment uh, and the Icewind Dale series. But they also have Boulder oh, State, yeah, yeah. they have Neverwinter Nights, uh, and they have another one, The Pillars of Eternity, I believe it's called. Uh, so yep. Yep. Uh, those are very long. You know, you, you literally spend the next few years just exploring those games. But the mechanic is very similar, so uh, um, you don't have to learn new ways to play the game. And, and they're re-releasing them all on PlayStation 4? Yeah, they, they've come out with all of the ones I mentioned so far. I don't know what else they intend to come out with, but I've seen them. Um, they're going for around $50 on release. So, again, I'll wait for a little while. I'm not going to have time to play them in the next few months anyway. Uh, so I'll just wait until I'm ready to play them and then uh, shop around for them. Um, but 
uh, I'm really looking forward to that because I remember those games from long ago. Yeah, that'd be interesting. A copy hasn't come into the store, so I'll have to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, most definitely so. I still have uh, some of the um, paperback novels that are based on those series of games, so I have to try to dig them out. Um, I I came across Planescape Torment, a novel, um, today, uh, so I'm definitely going to read that before I I play the game. And uh, Planescape, a sequel to it in a different... uh, area called the something Numenera, uh, Torment Numenera. That came out for the PlayStation 4 already, and that's kind of like a sequel to Planescape Torment. So uh, when I finish Planescape Torment again, I could play the, the sequel to it, and this way expands my enjoyment. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Is there anything coming out that you're looking forward to on the console? Oh, yeah. Um, there's uh, a game called uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is the name of it. Um, it's made by the same people that made uh, The Witcher, if you're familiar with that. They just came out with a Netflix yeah. series, I believe. Um, yeah. It's a Polish company called CD, CD Projekt Red, and uh, their games are, you know, highly, you know, acclaimed. And uh, So it's a future, futuristic, think, um, what's that game, what's that movie with Harrison Ford? Uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner. It's very heavily Blade Runner-esque is what I, the, the feeling and vibes that I get from it. Um, so that game's coming out. And then uh, for my girlfriend, there's a game called Animal Crossing. That's, uh, that's like, she's all about that. That's coming out for the Nintendo, Nintendo Switch. But yeah, Cyberpunk 2077. Say hello. Which one? Oh, yes. I'm glad <laughs> I finally met her, by the way. So say hello. I've been seeing her picture on your yeah. Facebook page. So I'm glad I'm glad that we got to meet the, for the few minutes that dropped by last time. Yeah, that that was a great surprise and a wonderful thing that that he got to meet her. She was uh, she was very happy. So that is awesome. Any idea when the Greek mythology game is coming out? There's one uh, coming out uh, by the same people who made Odyssey, except it's more cartoony. Right. No, I haven't heard anything. I'm assuming that it would be like you know a quarter one or quarter two. 2020 release because it's been in the making for a while from my understanding yes and I heard they're also making another Assassin's Creed that is set in the realm of Julius uh, uh, Caesar that sounds fascinating as well yeah that would be fun there's a lot that they can explore in that they, they do a really good job the Assassin's Creed games with with history and trying to nail it as close as they can but still making it you know a little uh you know, Hollywood eyes, I guess, if you will. And uh, any board games uh, coming out at Shoot Again Games, uh, Todd and Zach, in the near future? Uh, Not that they've told me recently. I don't get to see Naked Diane too much in person. But uh, we are going down. Tim's going with me for uh, January 1st. Every year they have a massive board game get-together at their house with all their friends that they've met at the different stores and people they've been playing with for 40 plus years. Uh, So if there's anything in the works, I should hopefully hear about it then. I know they've got a couple projects they've been tooling around with for a few years, but I I, I don't want to say anything about just yet until they announce them. Uh, I'm not sure what's, what's next. Well, if there's anything you could talk about, I'd be more than uh, glad to hear it. Uh, the two games that I'll be reviewing are, are incredibly awesome. Uh, 
then they're not not just written well and designed well, but uh, they're they're very uh, artistic as well. That and that adds to the experience. Oh, that's high praise. Uh, yes, uh, I'm especially looking forward to looting Atlantis. That I'm going to tie into the new campaign, the Jason and the Argonauts campaign in some way. <laughs> that, that's one of my favorites that they've made because I, I just love the theme and the idea of it. Yes, that's the why. It's, it's very creative and uh, unique. Uh, uh, most games would be Save Atlantis, and <laughs> this one gives you a totally yep. different... So. And I like the fact that they have a scientific and advanced uh, Atlantis, you know, so uh, all of that ancient and modern lore that's accumulated around the Lost Continent uh, has a nod to it as well. An interesting note that I I don't think they listed in the instruction manual, so this is kind of like an Easter egg for you now. Uh, All the cards in Looting Atlantis are based off of real-life photos of Nick, Diane, their sons, and some of their family friends who play games with them. So if you look at the cards, it's, the cards are Nick, Diane, and, and their relatives and friends. Wow. There's no way I could have guessed that uh, <laughs> uh, without your telling me. But thank you. That adds an added dimension to the, to the game. Now, um, you are both in your way uh, game designers um, is there any game that you would like to design that you care to share information about it? or even if you just have something in mind you don't need to share the details um, but uh, is that something uh, rather than um, working with the creativity of others you're very creative both of you is there any way that your creativity will produce uh, uh, something that other people can enjoy in the not too distant future uh, well, it's something that I, I'm very slowly tooling around with, but uh, do, do you know what Beyblades are? No, I don't. So Beyblades came out in, I want to say, the late 90s to early aughts. They came from Japan originally, and they're based off the ancient Japanese battling top game, where they would have the wooden tops and spin them against each other, and the last top spinning wins. Okay. So Beyblades was a series where they made plastic and metal replicas that had different components. So, like, you could swap out the different segments of the Beyblade. So the, the different bottoms would make them behave differently based off the way the tip was shaped. Or if one of them is heavier, it'd be more defensive, so it's harder to, to knock out of the arena. And uh, they ported this to the U.S. with an accompanying anime, and as anime are wont to do, they made it, like, over-the-top ridiculous. It's like, it's a national sport. People gather in massive stadiums to watch these people spin tops at each other. <laughs> and uh, they <laughs> added this element where the tops had, like, supernatural creatures inside of them. And you could, okay. like, do special moves, depending on how bonded you were with the, the creature. Um it was a really weird phase, and me and a bunch of friends from back home, like, went through it, and then every so often, like, years and years after, it just keeps popping up in some weird way or another, and uh, so I was looking around, because I like to look for indie RPGs here and there, and uh, mm-hmm. 
I found someone started, they wrote like three pages of an outline for like, oh, okay, maybe the game could do blah, 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 blah. And uh, so I'm tooling with it to try and get it to be playable because they they only wrote like three pages. There's not a lot to go on. There's no real like dice mechanics. There's no stat progression. There's there's just bare bones. Uh, But so I've decided to try and get this into a playable order and then see if we can make something fun out of it with that whole over-the-top, like, anime hero element where you guys are big sports-like professionals because you spin tops really well. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's something that I, I couldn't give you a, 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 the faintest glimmer of an outline because it's just every once in a while when I get an idea, I've been writing it down. I'm eventually going to try and pull them together, but I, I think I've reached the stage where I realize that I need a I need a creative team to back me on it. I can't do it all myself, okay. so I, I'm trying to like put feelers out and find out the best way to find people to uh, to like work together on this. Uh, I think you run so many games and uh, you're uh, tuned into the whole uh, uh, Kickstart uh, community, and also you have. Uh, uh, relatives close to you who design board games so and are having a major event uh, at their house in the very near future. So I think these are the best places to find the people you're seeking. So uh, I believe your question Fingers crossed. <laughs> that sounds exciting. That sounds like a lot, like a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully it should be because, again, I've always been drawn to those like, like like Pokemon, for instance, where the, the person has the bond with this creature and, like, their bond is what makes them stronger in battle. And so I like the idea of, like, instead of that, it's, it's literally just a plastic top that's, like, powered by supernatural elements. Um, and then, like, when you add in the whole, again, like, the professional sports league element. And it, it, it's a really, it, it's a goofy world. It's, it, it's a fun world to play with. And I'd like to see an RPG playable based on it. That that sounds great. And I also like uh, the more I looked at the uh, Bigfoot versus Yeti, and I still think the idea is good. Where your uh, obscure South American type of uh, um, bestiary uh, would definitely make a great expansion, and also the bestiaries from other obscure mythologies. Uh, those would make great additions to that game as well. I would love to see something like that. I, I was just telling a friend about, uh, I, I, I really like Inuit mythology. I just don't know a lot about it because it's hard to find a lot of texts on it. But uh, like again, like all these different people have these myths because of the environment they lived in. And they right. all tell them taboos about how to stay alive. And it's fascinating seeing the correlation. And so the most powerful quote I've seen was they had interviewed an Inuit shaman years back. And he, they asked him about the stories and about the gods and why they believe in them. And when they, they finished translating with him, he said, we don't believe, we fear. They fear wow. that all these stories are true. They fear that the gods are there. And so because they're so afraid that those gods are there watching they try to honor this taboo system, lest the gods take wrath upon them. Well, that explains a lot of uh, spiritualities that tell you that, uh, you know, you should be afraid of uh, uh, the chief god or gods of the pantheon. 
Exactly. Um, I always found, uh, in in terms of my own uh, spirituality, that uh, uh, I look at the gods as my uh, like my divine ancestors. I guess would be one way of describing it. Uh, so they're not out to get me. <laughs> they're on my side. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good, that's a good good thing to know. It it makes life e- it doesn't make life easier but it makes it better. <laughs> um, yeah. And you read the myths and terrible things sometimes happen to the greatest of heroes. So, you know, there there is uh, nothing uh, wrong with you if you're going through a difficult uh, time. Uh, and sometimes the heroes are going through phenomenal extreme times. Uh, being human is rough, and uh, the myths uh, prove that, and the gods know it. So uh, they cut you out of class. But I guess that that wouldn't that wouldn't make a fun game though. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so much uh, going on, and uh, I looked up at our clock. We only have two minutes left, so uh, before we conclude, um, please share your contact information. So we will start with Tim. Uh, for us, it's uh, level1games.com, and that's a good. Uh, portal to to find our Facebook and Instagram whenever we uh, have events or get new cool merchandise or anything we posted on our Facebook and our Instagram. Um, So it's level one games, like the the number one. Um, Yeah. So whenever, whenever we post or whenever we get anything or stuff happens, that's the the best way to find. And uh, same thing with like the upcoming um, like magic release and everything. We're going to be posting all that when the, in the new year, because the new set comes out in the end of January, I believe. So that, that's the best way to find us, level1games.com. Thank you very much. And Zach? Uh, you can uh, always look me up on Facebook uh, under Zach McAfee, or if you ever want to send me an email, it's uh, Z-R-M-C-A-T-E-E at gmail.com. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Uh, I will be by the store uh, the second Saturday in uh, January. And I will... uh, thanks again, and I will contact you both before then because uh, there's going to be some expansion uh, with uh, the Mythic uh, Gaming. So I want to see what you guys think about it. So I'll take you care until next time. And those will join us at home. Thank you very much. This is uh, all of us wishing all of you happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Thank you.